Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another special episode of Make Ours Marvel that we call Not Comics. This is our ninth special in the Not Comics series, and we're kind of starting a sort of on-again, off-again series um, in months going forward that we don't have a new movie out. And one other exception that we promised people we would do an episode this year, this year um, we are going to be doing a run through the X-Men films. And we had somebody we have talked to in the past who has a love and great knowledge of X-Men. So we decided to bring her, uh, well, to invite her at least, you know, it's her call to come back, uh, invite her back to the show. So say hello to Sarah Century. Hello, Sarah. Hi. Hello, Sarah Century. Hello. <laughs> Just to remind everyone out there, you are a writer for Sci-Fi Fangirls. Is that right? Yep, it's still right. Uh, that's been, I think, I just passed the one-year mark. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> so it pays really good. Um, it pays okay. Oh, okay. I survived good. somehow. Good. That's good. <laughs> so if you are out there, the Sci-Fi website, of course, that's S Y F Y, and Fangirls is G R R L S. So. Uh, head over there and do a search for Sarah Century. She has lots of fantastic articles. What are some things you've written recently? Oh, God. They just uh, did all of these uh, greatest of all time lists. So I've been oh. just so stressed out trying to figure out oh, what the best man. of everything is. They made me do the X-Men list. And all I can say about it is I'm not here to make friends, I guess, because... <laughs> I was like, uh, everyone's just going to argue and be oh, yeah. so mad. And there's uh, like no reason, you know, like there's no reason to be upset about that, of course. But it's also just like, oh, man, I'm like, I want to argue with myself. I'm like mad at me, too. <laughs> like, for this. Like, I've never I've never seen a best of article that didn't have a ridiculous amount of hate in the comments you know of course yeah and of course people are going to be like this girl's like never heard of the x-men before and like i know she only likes hugh jackman yeah good old shirtless hugh jackman um (laughs) so uh, there was a lot of that through january and then there's like there's just a lot of pending stuff right now that i'm excited there's uh some commentary on what's going on with poison ivy and uh talking about that but that's basically so, it. Sometimes you'll do kind of a, a bio of a particular character, like a focus on that character and, you know, her place in Marvel history and, you know, highlights of her life. And, I, and I'm reading and I'm just like, wow, the plethora of comics you must have waded through <laughs> to put all of this together. Yeah, it's so a you lot. you are a reading machine. <laughs> yeah, I read so many comics. I have all the apps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading them on the bus. I'm reading them like when I'm supposed to be babysitting my nephew. <laughs> reading them we all won't of tell the your time. <laughs> yeah, it's better not to. <laughs> 
So, um, you know, we've talked about the X-Men on the show. Now, Sarah, I'm not sure how much you listen, but we have been talking about the X-Men comics just of late. Um, mm-hmm. As we're recording this, our discussion of X-Men 3 is pretty recent in the release. Um, and we are actually, um, after we record this episode, Mike and I are going to be discussing the X-Men number five on another recording that's going to be coming out <laughs> down the road a bit. Um, so, you know, the, the Silver Age is where we are. Obviously, our discussion of the X-Men film is going to be bringing a lot of co- uh, concepts that are way, 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 way past that. So, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where we are. Uh, so, yeah, X-Men 2000. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who saw this in the theaters? I did. Um, I didn't because I was a hater then, too. So <laughs> I was not happy about it. And I was just so... Um, so salty for such a young person. Um, yeah, I didn't go to see it. It took me about uh, two years after it was released. So why were you salty when it came out? What was your uh, background going into the release of the film? Yeah, I just always have like read so, so much X-Men. I believe in 2000, I would have been, I don't know, like 18-ish. Um, so like, yeah, I was... <laughs> just so displeased with everything because you know of course they were like ruining my favorite franchise they weren't going to get anything right like you know all of the things that we've grown to really despise (laughs) in a person whenever they're just like oh well in the comics it was like this um that was how I was and am to some degree I've tried to curb it a lot in my character but uh yeah, to me, there was just no way they were going to succeed on this film. All right, Mike, where where were you with your X-Men when this came out? I was 25, so, you know, just like last year. <laughs> um, I don't think I was collecting comics anymore. Certainly probably not X-Men by that point, because, you know, my heyday was like the, the Claremont, Silvestri, Jim Lee takeover, you know, all the books blowing up into separate titles and things like that. X-Force, all that. Mm-hmm. So this is all after that, right? Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I knew you were going to ask me, like, well, what were you doing when, you know, Wolverine was shot or whatever? But, like, I had this weird mixture of remembering how super excited I was to see the movie, but also knowing it was going to be completely bonkers, <laughs> like, at the same time. But all I can say is, like, if you think about it, this is probably the first big Marvel movie to come out on the screen yeah right mm-hmm. this is pre Raimi spider-man by two years mm-hmm. yep. so up until this time in my lifetime marvel was represented by direct-to-video matt salinger movie captain america movies <laughs> or yeah. fantastic four movies that never saw the light of day um and dc had like you know christopher reeve and the batman series and all this so i in that sense i was stoked like yay marvel is finally getting something and nobody knows who x-men are so this will be cool but at the same time i can definitely remember like all the you know quote unquote problems i had with it from you know just like sarah kind of like you know being unable to tell myself this is a movie not a comic essentially (laughs) you know like how come they're not using the original founders and you know why is rogue younger than everybody else and why is magneto so old and you know i remember thinking all those things but also really being excited to see it and and pretty much enjoying it and i still enjoy it it's not my favorite of the of the series but it's a good start. So I was 21 when this came out, and I was um, about to propose to the woman I would marry. Um, and Did I you do it in an X-Men movie? 
No, no, I didn't do it. Okay. I don't <laughs> even know if I saw this one in the theaters. I know I saw X2 in the theaters because I remember going to see that with my friend. I don't know that I saw X-Men in the theaters. I don't have any memory of doing it. It may have been on, 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 on video at some point later. I feel like I would have seen it, though. Maybe I went saw it with my brother. I don't know. But um, but I know that around this time, my knowledge of X-Men was pretty limited. Like, I hadn't been reading comics for years by this point because I dropped out in 1993 of comics pretty much altogether. Um, and even then, all my X-Men stuff then was from the cartoon show and from their appearances in Spider-Man stuff. Um, so I didn't really know X-Men. I think the most prominent X-Men in my mind were Wolverine because, I mean, if you're born in America, you know what Wolverine is. <laughs> and um, the Iceman because of Spider-Man and his amazing friends. So when I went into this film, I loved it. <laughs> 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 because it's it's the X-Men, right? It's like it is the it is the non-comic fan mass public perception of x-men and wolverine's there and cyclops has the eye visor and storm is pulling lightning powers down and rogue is there and she's like one of the you know most featured characters in the story um and you know i've loved this movie for years and not to spoil but i watched it for this podcast having read at this point now like 35 30 to 35 years of x-men comics and my feelings have changed a little bit. <laughs> I still like a lot of the movie, but it, it I guess I like the movie, but I can see a lot more now of why it had some problems that people weren't happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. my, but my hope is, as we're going through this X-Men film franchise, is to celebrate as much as possible while still pointing out that th- th- there, there are some choices. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely some choices. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I guess we can go ahead and get into it. I have some notes here. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this, we were just getting ready to record, but one of the things that I noticed right off the bat was that, you know, we kind of come into this story through Rogue's point of view, mm-hmm. kind of like how the X-Men cartoon did Jubilee as the gateway character to like, introduce to the X-Men. We get mm-hmm. that from Rogue here. And her origin story is very similar to what it is in the comics. I mean, her connection to other characters, like, you know, Mystique, um, is completely absent. But at least her basic, like, discovery of her powers, that story is there. But um, Anna Pekin, Rogue, what'd y'all think? Um, I think that Anna Pekin is a really good actor. And I think that she is an awesome choice, especially at the time. I think that... uh, if you wanted to have a point of view character, you would want to choose somebody like Anna Pekin to be like the person who, cause she's, you know, she's a good actor. She's like pretty neutral in the role. Like she doesn't have a lot of those like really strong dramatics that Rogue has in the comic where she's like, anything happens and like, she like punches through a wall and <laughs> flies away or something. Yeah, so it's like, it's kind of simplified, I guess, uh, and definitely does take out a lot of what I knew of Rogue whenever I first approached the character. Um, And then, of course, like, you know, bringing in that point of view character has been such an important thing for X-Men stories for such a long time. Like, they had, like, Jubilee to do it, as you said, and then before that, they had Kitty Pryde. Um, And those characters, like, and making those characters always a teen girl is a really interesting choice, I think. So I was pretty in favor of it. I love all of the Mystique and Destiny drama 
that happens in the comics a lot. So, of course, like, I don't know, I'll just stop saying in the comics, basically, <laughs> like, through this, because it's just always going to be me being like, well, in the comics, this happened, and it was really cool. Um, but, you know, comics have their problems, too. I have to remember that. Um, I thought not, that she did a really good X-Men job. Not X-Men comics. Uh, X-Men comics, the continuity is solid, isn't it? Yeah, very clearly defined. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very ready for new viewers and new fans. Um, I don't know. I thought she did good. I uh, She was different, you know? She wasn't, like, the same rogue that we've seen where you've got, like, the southern accent, like, the cool jacket, like, all of that. But she was still, you know, she was still rogue, I think. Mike, what would you think of her? Yeah, um, you know, I remember thinking at the time, again, there's the age thing. It's really, it's a it's a huge burden to be a real fan, isn't it? Like, <laughs> you're the only one who doesn't like something that everybody else likes. But, uh, yeah, I remember things like that. Like, oh, she's too young. She should be rogue. And, of course, my rogue was the rogue who, you know, partially or completely absorbed Carol Danvers and had her powers and, you know, was evil at first and then good and dated Magneto and Gambit and all this stuff. But it's like you can't do all that in this movie. So even though, like, maybe when I was 25 it bothered me a little bit, now it's like, who cares? Uh-huh. And it's a ni- it's a nice streamlined way to introduce people to the concept of the X-Men. Now, do I care about her personality? I mean, she was kind of just like our window, I guess. And she had a Southern accent, so they got that right, sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, otherwise, uh, no, she was cool. I mean, I liked that she was scared. She was good at being scared. Um, I think in subsequent films, which we probably shouldn't talk about too much now, but, like, they don't really go anywhere with her, which is kind of a shame. Mm-hmm. But I guess in this movie, it works. Yeah, she's Yeah, they good. use her in two, and then she kind of fades to the background. Even the rogue cut of the Days of Future Past, her scenes are not really that crucial to the film. So yeah, I, you, they, they make you like her in this film, mm-hmm. and then she kind of drops out of the franchise, which is, I think, unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I, I liked her in this. I feel like I've read that Rogue in the comics is nominally pretty young. Mm-hmm. Like she's supposed to be pretty young, like late teens, which okay. is what, you know, Anna Pekin is 17 in this playing yeah. 15 to 17 ish. Um, so, you know, the Rogue in the comics is supposed to be more like this. But of course, all the X-Men in the comics have always been teenagers that act like they're 25. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's like when you're when you're 16 reading comic books, every character is 30. Yeah. And now we're old and every character is younger than us. So that's how that works. <laughs> yeah. But um, but I, I like her. I like, you know, her use of powers. I thought I thought the effects with her powers still looked really good 18 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, the notion that, you know, since this movie really is Wolverine and the X-Men and like the entire <laughs> franchise is Wolverine and the X-Men. Mm-hmm. The yeah. fact that, you know, we think the entire film that Wolverine is the MacGuffin of Magneto and it turns out to be Rogue at the end was a nice twist. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, um, it was pretty great. But yeah. Speak, do we have anything else that was on Rogue? Because that was going to take us to the Canadian in the room. Uh, I was basically just going to say that there were elements of her personality that I consider to be pretty key that were lost, but also that it is correct that you couldn't necessarily incorporate it. Like, as I say, she's kind of meant to be neutral in some ways. And so whenever you try to have, like, 
you know, you can't have her be so emotionally volatile, I guess. She's, like, still, like, slightly emotionally volatile, but it's always for reasons in this movie. Like, she gets stabbed through the chest and stuff, so mm-hmm. it's like, I yeah, love- I would leave if that happened. I love um, that line in the end that she was apparently emotionally volatile, like, for a couple days after absorbing Wolverine's healing power. Because <laughs> he's the one. Because <laughs> he's a jerk. He's, he's emotionally volatile. Yeah, he's so emotionally volata- volatile. Well, you made me think of something is that, you know, the first time we meet Rogue in the comics is right after she has assaulted Carol Danvers, Uh uh, Ms. Marvel. And so she drains her powers and the vast majority of her life force and basically permanently takes on those aspects of the character. Mm -hmm. And this Rogue never has a chance to do that. Nope. So this, I mean, because you were talking about character traits that were missing. Rogue in the comics is a powerhouse on the team. And this rogue is a teenage girl who can't touch people. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, she gets to shine in some action scenes in the second one because she goes on the road trip with the teenagers. And we could talk about that another day. <laughs> um, but but in this one, she's really not even a defensive player. She, she can't even defend herself really that well. Mm-hmm. Were there other things you thought were missing? Uh, no, that was really just like the strongest one, honestly. Like I'm used. To, whenever I started reading comics, it was definitely in like the early '90s, like super early '90s. Uh, at that time, Rogue was certainly the powerhouse of the team, and anytime there was a fight, like Rogue like throws down her like romance novel and like runs into the fight, you know. So that's kind of just that's the context I have for the character. She's changed a lot. She was super different in, you know, X-Men Evolution. Like in the X-Men animated series, they really wanted to play up like the fact that she couldn't touch people and things like that. They do that in the comic too, but there was always this other side to her that was honestly a lot like Carol Danvers. Um, And then that like central conflict of her never really being able to forget Carol, I think has been uh, just what I associated with the character. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, I look at Rogue and then I think also that whenever they introduce these point of view characters into movies and cartoons, a lot of times what they're doing is they have to strip an element of that character just in general, because they did that with Jubilee, too. Like they made Jubilee be like a white girl, first of all, you know, in like the animated series. Yeah. And then they also like. You know, she's not as, like, she's not the motor mouth that we knew from the comics. Like, she's not, you know, this and that. They kind of had to simplify her character to make her be relatable to the most amount of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, us white people are, you know, easily confused. <laughs> yeah. We got to keep everything normal. Yeah, I really tripped out whenever I saw, like, Night of the Sentinels recently, and then you saw, like, Jubilee's parents are, like, you know, like, a white woman named Martha or something, and I was like, what? (laughs) What What is happening? But then it's like, that just means, also, that was happening before. That's been happening in a lot of different properties for a long time. Hey, that's been happening since Doctor Strange, 1963. Mm -hmm. You mentioned X-Men Evolution, and it reminded me that that cartoon started the exact same year like that fall season was x-men evolution so and i remember i've only seen a few episodes of that i know i need to see more because i've heard so many good things about it but um i feel like rogue's portrayal in that kind of mirrors her portrayal in this the more vulnerable wearing a hood kind of you know withdrawn girl Mm -hmm. yep and then she's like a little bit more goth basically Mm -hmm. she's wearing like a lot of eyeliner because it's like 2000 because it's 2000 I mean, the problem is, if you want her to be a powerhouse, how did she become a powerhouse? By being evil. 
Mm-hmm. So. Well, I mean, they could do something else. They could but... either make her evil or they could make her have a real serious accident. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, she doesn't naturally come by those powers. So I don't know. Yeah. It is. I, I guess like if, you're hu- if you're a huge Rogue fan, I suppose this would be a horribly disappointing film for you. <laughs> but as, as service to the story, it works for me, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I like her a lot. It's just a different take on the character. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, she comes in and she takes us to Wolverine. Um, the shortest, fighting. Yeah, the shortest Canadian ever played by a six-foot cage fighting. Um, is Hugh Jackman even Canadian? I don't even know. Australian, right? Australian, Australian yeah. that's right. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, so, you know, <laughs> I, I remember a lot of people be like, you know, that's one thing I remember from this film is when it came out, we were talking about Hugh Jackman being so tall and people still mentioned that, but we were watching it and you saw Wolverine's back and he turns his head a little bit. And my daughter says, Hey, I recognize that hair. <laughs> so even though, you know, it's not as, uh, uh, you know, extreme as the comics, it did kind of quaff his hair a bit on the sides to make it look more Wolverine-ish. <laughs> yep. So I, this was like the big one for me that I remember like, who the heck is Hugh Jackman? He doesn't even look right. He's too tall. He's like, I think he does musicals or something. This guy can't be Wolverine because, you know, as popular as Wolverine is and as fun as it is to not like him, I like him as a character. I think he's a very interesting character most of the time. Not all the time, of course. And, yes, it's annoying that he's in every freaking comic book ever. And he's one of those Batman kind of characters that if you guest star him in something, people will buy it. But there's a reason for that, I think, because he's cool. So I was, like, really, like, picky about who could – who could play Wolverine? Nobody, you know? <laughs> and then I remember being in that movie and like the minute he, he's getting beat down in that cage. And the minute he like punches that dude's fist and then we well, had yeah, the punches <laughs> meet in the air. Yeah. And then he, and then he like headbutts him and you hear like this metal clang. And like, since then I have been like a hundred percent sold on Hugh Jackman Wolverine. Like he just, <laughs> he just turned it around. It was over. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even help it. And yeah, even in these movies, you could argue like, oh, every movie is like the Wolverine story and it's really annoying. And I guess that could be true, but that's not really his problem. I think he does a great job playing this very hard character to play. Mm-hmm. What yeah, do you I, think? I totally agree with that. I think that he's great as Wolverine. Um, I don't always like the way that he's written, uh, but I didn't. I don't always like the way he's written in general. <laughs> There's uh-huh. like, I can't be like, oh, the comics are so much better when it comes to Wolverine because Wolverine is given the absolute most attention in the movies. So it's like, well, if the comics are better, then I, <laughs> they did it by like less Wolverine basically, um, and they certainly didn't ever really do that. So it's kind of like any. Anything that I would have to say that's critical about, like, the way Wolverine is written is not any reflection on Hugh Jackman. And he really works with those lines that sometimes I'm kind of like the, you know, the classic, like, Wolverine lines of, like, mm-hmm. him just being a jerk for no reason. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like everybody's having a meeting and he's like, <sighs> and like, all like, yeah. a jerk constantly. Um it's like that's sometimes I like tease those elements of Wolverine's character, but it is true to the comics. So he does a good job as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, you know, Wolverine was the most popular X-Men character when this movie was made. So having him be a feature character in this was a no brainer. Um, mm-hmm. I like how you say when this movie was made. <laughs> well, you know, you could you could put a period after that before when this movie was made, and it would still apply. 
And then they never heard of Wolverine again. (laughs) Right. Um, Well, I don't know, because, I mean, I feel like the Deadpool mania has taken over and surpassed the Wolverine Uh, mania, but I'm not sure. I guess that could be true. (laughs) I don't really feel like he's an X-Man, though, is he? I don't know. I know he's part of that universe, but he doesn't strike he's me as... He's tangentially an X-Men character. He may a be long-standing an X- debate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, it's kind of like, are, are the fourth world characters Superman characters? I don't know. You know they, that's where they shot off from, but are they? Um, so I, you know, really love Wolverine a lot because of this film. Like, this okay. movie and the next movie and what they did with Wolverine are kind of why I love Wolverine. And reading the comics and finding out, like, the different version of the character has been, like, finding out a second Wolverine because this these films were my core concept of him for so long. Um, but the, there are things like, you know, in the in the bar, whenever the two claws come out and that third one, like, slowly comes out and you get that, like, moving through the flesh shot. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. And then later on, whenever he's like holding his hand and, and Rogue asks if it hurts, he says every time. That has informed my concept of Wolverine ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, that like the the he's I don't know. Um but able being able to approach this story with more knowledge of where uh, it comes from, you know, the idea that he's wandering with no memory. Okay, well I know then the comics actually did that for a while, because after Weapon X he went feral and, you know, was wandering the forest with no memory until the hudson's found him so maybe they're kind of doing an analog of that uh Sabretooth shows up but you think Sabretooth is you know fight wolverine just like he does in the comics no Sabretooth has no clue who this guy is and wolverine has no clue who well actually Sabretooth has so little dialogue and personality in this film mm-hmm. that Sabretooth may know everything about wolverine and we don't get to find <laughs> that out mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah so so like outside of hugh jackman and Rogue, and possibly Professor X, every other character that you're going to ask us about, I imagine we're all going to say disappointing. Um, <laughs> but of them all, of them all, Sabretooth is the worst because the dynamic between Sabretooth and Wolverine is generally a fairly interesting thing in the comic yeah. books. Yeah, and in here, in here, it's nothing. And you, you, you can't even say that they didn't know each other because we have no idea what they know because they spoke nothing to each mm-hmm. other. So for all we know... They've known each other forever, but it didn't seem like it. Um, yeah, Sabretooth is just oh, so sad Yeah, in he's, this movie. In the comic, he's also just so maliciously cruel about yeah, everything. Yeah, he has a personality. Yeah, a really strong, awful personality, but that's like what <laughs> well, yeah. we're... That's what we're reading it for. Um, he's like opposite Wolverine. So as much as Wolverine is like this broody, like temperamental guy, like Sabretooth is the person who pushes every button, you know? So yeah, seeing him just kind of stand there was really strange. Yeah, yeah I mean, just... essentially they made up for it when they recast him and redid the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Then they gave us a Sabretooth that was much better. But in this movie, it's just really sad. I think Tyler Mayne could have done a really good job. I kind of yeah, felt bad. I was like, yeah, I mean, he know, looked the part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The look was great. And the casting I thought was good. He just didn't get to do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that opening fight in the woods did remind me of like that. Remember that very first episode of the cartoon where you see uh, Sabretooth going crazy in the streets, mm-hmm. like on the news. <laughs> yeah. And that's all you see of Sabretooth for a while in the cartoon. <laughs> yep. It just kind of reminded me of that, you know, um, but, you know, Wolverine throughout this film 
is he's snarky, he's rude, he's takes an immediate dislike to Cyclops, which seems to be spurred by you know spawned by nothing else except for a crush on Jean Grey. Because um, well, my daughter was saying that she didn't like Cyclops in this movie, but I liked Cyclops. He just didn't get to do a whole lot. It felt like he hated him before he even found out they were dating. Just it because was, he was the straight lace kid. I, that or he saved his life and that made him resent him or something or I don't know. He didn't even have time to be straight laced. Like he literally was just like standing behind Wolverine and Wolverine's just like, I, I really hate this guy. And it's like, why? (laughs) Like nobody knows. It's like your your nose and your chin and your visor and your eyes and like your face. I I, I hate it. Get it away. He's got, he's got stronger senses than we do. Maybe Cyclops is just really offensive. Um, I think that Cyclops is such a good character. He's so underplayed in this movie, of course. And then uh, he was in the animated series, too. This is, like, habitual with him, as people just see him as this kind of, like, stern, like, dad or something who, like, is just here to ruin Wolverine's make-out sessions with his girlfriend. Like, he's just, like, (laughs) such a bummer. Um, (laughs) But it's, like, there's... That's not who he is in the comic, you know, at all, once again. And, yeah, once again, who cares what happens in the comics, this movie. But uh, I just uh, think that they really simplify his character sometimes, and it sells him short, and it makes a lot of people not like him because they're just like, yeah, you're totally that guy who just, like, stands there and takes abuse from Wolverine, like, every time you show up. Um, And then it's like, what is Wolverine gaining from this, too? I just I always am puzzled by, like, why they establish such an aggressive relationship with them, because in the comic, it was like the Jean Grey thing is like kind of to the side of it. But it's based on a very real personality clash, like Cyclops tells him what to do. And Wolverine's like, you just do whatever the professor says, like, I'm not listening to you any more than I'm listening to him. Like, and that's kind of a more organic reason i think because it's like gene's just always gonna do what gene's gonna do (laughs) like you can't have a feud based on like gene's decisions (laughs) like that doesn't make a lot of sense um and and i have a big gap in my reading you know of gene's life post 1993 mm -hmm. until you know she you know gets killed off again the grant morrison run so i don't know if if more happens with her and wolverine but, you know, in her X-Factor <laughs> days and early X-Men days, uh, you know, in the 80s and early 90s, there's like one or two scenes with her and Wolverine. Mm-hmm. One place where they might have made out. Mm-hmm. And other than that, there is no Wolverine in Jean. Yeah, there's not. It's definitely something that's told like in retrospect sometimes. But generally, it's just Wolverine being kind of a creep and Jean telling him off like... That's what's awesome about their dynamic is Jean's always just like, you need to like sit on your hands because you were being a dick. Like that's uh, it. uh, Yeah, it doesn't really. It's like I get I get Wolverine and Jean's friendship so much. Like they're such a good friend combo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like they always have been. But this was like in this movie, the second that we see Jean, but after her initial speech that she does is Senator Jean Grey. Did you catch that? Was that Senator Jean Grey? Oh, was it Senator? I thought it said Doctor. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I was looking at the wrong line. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Jean Grey speaking to the Senate is what I meant to say. I super caught that, and that's really interesting to me too. Um, but 
Yeah, I don't know. I think that, like, with Jean, like, the first time she shows up, besides, like, them dropping that she's a doctor, which is really cool, and kind of gives us an idea of what maybe Jean would have done if she had never encountered Phoenix. Um, And so that has a lot of potential as a huge Jean Grey fan. But also, yeah, she, like, shows up and is, like, molesting his arm, (laughs) like, whenever he's, like, passed out. And I remember seeing that in the movie and just being like, already, Jean? Like, oh, my God. But there's no chemistry between her and Cyclops. Like, they have no interactions with each other, really, other than, like, being in a fight together. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the relationships are just assumed or mm-hmm. stated but not shown. Yeah. It's like they, they – Like, take, she they, says that she's dating Scott. I was going to say – Sorry, they, go ahead, Mike. It sounds like – it seems like they were happy to – you know, ignore a bunch of comic stuff, but at the same time, it's like, oh, in the comics, they don't get along, so let's just have them not do that in the movie mm-hmm. and, and make it a, uh, you know, just an assumption on everybody's part. And in a way, like, I, I kind of did buy into it because, like, yeah, in my mind, Wolverine and Cyclops don't get along, but now that you guys are pointing that out, it's like, you're right, there really was no reason for that. <laughs> yeah. We just took it for granted, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, she says that she's with Scott. Scott says that he's with her. We don't see that relationship ever. At all. Yeah, no, we see Jean bumming Wolverine out by telling him that she has a boyfriend already. And it's doesn't, P.S. Doesn't she the guy. seem like a kept woman and it's kind of creepy? It's, or is that I just me? I hate how they deal with her in this movie so yeah, much. Because it's yeah. like they give her doctor status like right away. And she's older and she's like been with the the school longer than anybody and is just immediately so so awesome and then it's like that goes absolutely nowhere and then she just talks about how she's like not powerful enough and she can't be controlled her powers can't be controlled like they talk about going into cerebro and she's like oh not me only the professor can do that and it's just like what is this jean gray i've never seen this jean gray like in my life she's also she's also like I'm with Scott. Like, and she says it in a way, like she yeah. just has to be, she has to be, it's she doesn't want to be. And then, are. and then when he catches them, like doing their mind meld, she lowers her head and like shuffles out the door. Like she's shamed or something. And then he's telling, he tells her things like you can't do cerebro. It's too dangerous for you. So I just feel like it's a kind of a bad relationship in a way. Like it doesn't empower her, this relationship, whatever it is. He seems like he's just keeping her under his thumb somehow. Yeah, and it's like, why are you giving this person that level of power over you? Um, it yeah. just doesn't read like Jean Grey at all, because it's like, that's not... Like, I've been reading Jean Grey for years and years and years, and like, of course, seen every single movie. And that's like one thing that they... When they get her totally wrong, it's always because they don't give her agency. And that's always the most important thing to remember about Jean is like through every single thing that's ever happened to her, she always chooses to go her own way. And like that's not present in this movie, which is really strange because as I say at the beginning, they're like, hey, P.S. she's like a doctor and she's super smart. (laughs) Like so they're like giving her this like immediate like check this out like maybe she could have been a doctor if she had never like been phoenix or something like that and then they're just like oh or maybe her and cyclops just have a really weird relationship and she's just here to be like lusted after by wolverine like what the hell like come on i love this notion of potential in the character of you know this is the life she could have lived had she not been dark phoenix Mm -hmm. um because i'll tell you it's just like 
you know, a non-X-Men reader watching this film, I had a vague notion of Jean Grey becoming Dark Phoenix and dying. But somehow she was alive in the X-Men cartoon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are years of Jean Grey comics and stories that I still have yet to read because I just, you know, I haven't gotten that far in my reading yet. But like, you know, everything with X-Factor, you know, and everything that she did before she became Dark Phoenix, because there were some years of X-Men comics when she was just being cool in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of that stuff seems to get used to tell Jean Grey stories in other media. Mm-mm. No, well, they just go, oh, she's Phoenix. <laughs> she's Phoenix. You know, and, and being Phoenix is only used as a prelude to Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. You know, the comics we're reading now, her entire character is she's the girl on the team that they fight over. So really, they nailed it in this movie <laughs> sure and the if you're like <laughs> going by silver age it's, standards it's yeah. accurate it's accurate to like and kirby <laughs> x-men uh-huh. um but fortunately the well one of the best things about gene one of the worst things about her is is that the way that they make her be interesting to themselves is to kill her repeatedly um like the creators but the best thing about her is is that she just doesn't ever let people really control her um and that is as we say like just incredibly absent from this take yeah. um, wait wait till we get to number three. <laughs> oh god i just watched uh. that for sci-fi and it was so painful um <laughs> but what's her name funk funky jensen uh-huh. how do you say yeah. it funky jensen yeah okay she's great like she's a great gene um she could have done so much i think mm-hmm. yeah so no, once again, no disrespect to like the people who actually played these roles, because I think that they were working, they did a lot with a little, you know? Yeah, but she but. wasn't redheaded, so she was really just not right at all. <laughs> yeah, I thought she was elegant. I thought she had, you know, some cool body language with the use of her powers. Like, you know, when she pulled the device to her while she was examining Wolverine, you know, she just lifted her hand and everything else was her mind. Just like, you know, she only... When she was using her telekinesis, she only used her body as much as she needed to to interact with that. I mean, just just little stuff about how she carried herself in the film that was really great. Um, but it is weird that her only role in this film is to be the pit, the, the basically the vertex of the angle between Wolverine and um, Scott, and that's weird. Um, so we've touched on Scott, we've touched on Jean Grey, we've touched on Wolverine. Um, that's it. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's it for the good guys. Well, no, there's, I mean, really. there's, uh, there's that bald guy. There's Captain Picard. Okay. Well, first of all, everybody says like, oh, that's so obvious. And he nailed it. And yes, I love him in this movie. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you think about it, Professor X is usually much more jerky than that. So in a <laughs> yeah. way, in a way, he doesn't play Professor X well at all. But I like this Professor X. I wish this was a Professor X we'd get more often, like someone you'd actually want to listen to and learn from mm-hmm. instead of just being a weirdo creep who like checks your blood pressure and makes you go out to war all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like as far as casting goes, come on, Patrick Stewart, the only bald actor on the planet, really. So let's just do it. <laughs> and it worked. He's great. Um, I don't know like what we get out of. I don't know. Yeah. He, he gives us what we need from a Professor X, I guess. Mm-hmm. So is this is this really the movie of the neutered X-Men characters? Kind of, yeah. Wolverine and it's... Rogue and Magneto have the most going for them in this. But you're right, not even Xavier has a lot of like characters really like to himself. No, well, I mean, yeah, he's just a congenial like 
I'm the good guy and I'm the leader of the good guys and I'm very wise and and I'll steer fatherly. you right direct and fatherly, yeah. <laughs> Which isn't tech, you know, typically his character in the comic books so much because he's he's much more like untrustworthy to me in my opinion. <laughs> but uh, he's like a negligent dad. Like he's all <laughs> like, I'm going to space to make out with my space girlfriend. <laughs> well, if if we if there are if there are off-panel comics moments of Xavier behaving like this guy does, then I can see why Scott reveres him so much as a fatherly figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's not a whole lot in the comics to give us reason for Scott to love this man so much. No. <laughs> but he does. Mm-hmm. Until he killed him. Yeah, so um, it's like a wish fulfillment, <laughs> Professor X, in a way. Yeah. At least yeah. until the third movie when we find out he is a liar. But, you know, <laughs> in this one, he seems He's- pretty nice. He's so awful in the third one. I can't believe it. That's more Professor X. That nailed it right there. It really did. Yeah. The part where he's just like, oh, I just like split Jean Grey's personalities because I was like scared of her. (laughs) He's like, okay. "Uh, You can't do that. I don't have to answer to you. That was amazing. He's like, you're an animal. (laughs) It's like, whoa, bud. (laughs) Whoa. But yeah, he was cool. Um, (laughs) The only other good guy is Storm, right? Yeah, Storm. And she's just completely devoid of anything. Oh my gosh. Oh, Talk, okay. She's probably the one that I have changed my opinion on the widest range because I loved her and could not imagine why anyone had problems with her. She <laughs> looked amazing. She looked you know, amazing, yeah. Um, when her eyes go white because she's calling on her powers, and I was just like, oh yeah. And... Um, she, they do a lot of really cool stuff with her, um, and her use of lighting, although lightning and wind seem to be her only thing. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe that's enough weather for, you know, one movie. Uh, (laughs) but now that I've read everything from the Mm eight and I look at this character and I saw apocalypse and like the first act of apocalypse, we saw more storm character than all of her other. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, Storm's my favorite X-Man, so I had a oh, hard no. time. <laughs> Man. I had a really hard time. She's the reason I started reading comics. Like, I saw a comic that had Storm on the cover, and there was just, like, lightning everywhere, and she had her fist in the air and just looked amazing. Um, and was amazing. Like, the whole story that she was in at the time, I think it was, like, she had just broken up with Forge for being a jerk, and, like, she was, you know, kind of fading off to the side a little bit, but then she comes back and kills Marrow and like, Oh, just so much going on with her in the comic. Uh, And there's just, I've never known a storm where there wasn't a ton going on with her. Like when she fades into the background of a book, I always am just like, what are you guys doing? Like she has to be such a central character or like you're just wasting her. Um, Mm -hmm. And in this one, it's like, yeah, she looked great. And I also want to say, because you've mentioned a few times about, like, the powers looking good. And I want to say that, like, the CGI in this movie is pretty impressive. They don't lean on it too hard. And they do a really good job for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, God, it's not Storm. <laughs> it can be Halle Berry as Storm, but it's certainly not the character that I've known. I guess I mixed up my timeline in my head. In hindsight, because I I thought she had just come off of her Academy Award when she came into this movie, but I guess that right. was a year later. Mm-hmm. 
But that's one of the criticisms is like you had Halle Berry on your cast. She just did that awesome movie Monster Ball where she's showing that she can act. She wins mm-hmm. a freaking Academy Award and you give her nothing to do. And so lame is her character that by next movie, she doesn't even bother with the accent and none of us notice. Yeah, I noticed you know? it in retrospect because I had just it's seen like, X3 and then I watched X-Men and was like, is she doing an accent? Nah, she's <laughs> like, like, you know what? This character's lame anyway, so why do I even put any effort into it? Yeah. But I'll be honest so. with you, she only has like five lines in this. So. She's like, Brian Singer doesn't even like look at me when I'm on set. Like basically just like no interaction, it seems like. Oh it's, man, it's and disappointing. The, the part where Toad beats both her and Jean Grey in a fight is just like freaking right. Toad. What is uh, happening? <laughs> like, yeah, but I, that was that was Darth Maul Toad, so they had to give him a lot to do, you know. I guess, yeah. He seems like he had a lot more to do than Storm or Jean Grey in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, Talk about a glow up from the comics, though. Toad was pretty amazing. Yeah, he actually was pretty good. Yeah, he was uh, fun. He only had a couple lines, but he was better than Sabretooth. Better than he Storm, was better than Sabretooth. Wow, that sentence has never been said before. Yeah, ever. <laughs> right. Ever. <laughs> but you know, Toad. Toad. He's in the Brotherhood in this film, and his primary characteristic in the comics, whenever he was with Magneto's Brotherhood, was being a toady to Magneto. Mm-hmm. And then he does the like the story beat where he realizes that after all this years of kissing up to Magneto has gotten him nothing. Mm-hmm. And he realizes like that he actually has value apart from Magneto and can be his own person. And then years later shows up and takes on the brotherhood himself. You know, he is the leader of the brotherhood Mm -hmm. with a lot more nineties artist teeth. Um, (laughs) So, but none of that, none of that. Uh, He does look cool. And the, the tongue was an interesting addition because I don't think that ever happens. He has tongue and he has like the poison he can spit out. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more reptilian amphibious character traits, not just a, in the comics he's just a bouncer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the snarky attitude. I think they gave the toady quality to Sabretooth, sadly, because mm-hmm. like he's the one who seems to get the brunt of Magneto's, um, you know, disappointment, attitude. disappointment. <laughs> yeah. Anytime something goes wrong, it's Sabretooth's fault, kind of. Uh-huh. And Toad just kind of seems like he's just amused with all the goings on and and is willing to do something naughty if someone asks him to. So he was okay. Like I didn't expect big things from Toad, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That was it. We had low expectations, and we were like, "Oh, you know what? Toad actually did really good." Like, like if you think about it, I don't, I don't, I never read like a behind the scenes anything on how they decided on who, what characters to use. But if I was making my first X Men movie, and they're like, "Well, who do you want for the bad guys?" I'm not sure Toad would 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 make a bill for me, but I'd go through like I don't know fifty other characters before right? I made it to Toad. <laughs> right. So that's kind of interesting that they went the Toad route, but. <laughs> Is it, yeah. is it ironic that he's always such a toady to Magneto? Oh, I think they intended that. <laughs> Not as ironic as Happy Hogan being sad. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it probably was very much intended. Um, okay, so we've gone through all of our good guys. I ha- I, I think we have to talk about Magneto. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I love so much about Magneto in this movie, and there are some parts that I have really serious issues with. Okay. Um. And they start out with the origin story yeah. and props to them for reusing this origin and like adding to it in later films. Um, but, you know, taking the um, 
the concentration camps and the division of the family and using that to show his power and then turning that into, you know, Ian McKellen's portrayal with the, you know, still having the tattooed number on his arm Mm -hmm. and using that mistrust of humans fueled by, you know, by decades of hate as a reason for doing this now. A lot of that was really, really solid. I wish a little bit more had been made into the script as far as talking about some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and to me, Ian, Ian McKellen just is Magadina. Yeah, he's yeah. great. He's really good. So that was that was one of my ones was like, that guy's too old to be Magneto because my Magneto's like big and buff and kind of wears that pink red outfit and has silver <laughs> hair. Thomas Magneto got re, got de-aged to a baby. Okay, well, see, <laughs> that was just my vision of him. It's like, well, they cast like this elf. By the way, I thought at the time he looked really old, but now that I watched it for this show, it's like, wow, he was really young in that movie. But uh, <laughs> um, I never heard of him either. So this is like my introduction to, like, you know, one of the greatest actors of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember that opening scene where the kid, which isn't Ian McKellen, but where the kid's, like, screaming for his parents and then the cage starts opening. I remember that, like, making the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Like, that's a really good scene, which they've used at least two times. Um, and it kind of makes sense that he has to be that old if you want him to be from World War II. I guess, or, uh, yeah, World War II. And, <laughs> yeah. and like you said, maybe they don't talk enough about the differences between the two of them. But I do think that since anytime Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen are on the same screen, it's, like, powerful enough to where you definitely feel um, the brother brothers gone wrong situation, I guess. Like those are those are the good scenes of this movie, really. Anytime mm-hmm. those two are interacting, both at the uh, courthouse in the beginning, and then later when when uh, Professor X tries to take over his henchman's brains and stuff, and that was all good stuff. Yeah. I love the silhouette of Magneto with the uh, the wide brim hat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a really cool look. Sarah, mm-hmm. what'd you think of Magneto? Um, I think that Magneto is one of the most uh, just like hit and miss characters of the X-Men franchise. I think that like sometimes he's really great. Sometimes he's just like Silver Age evil guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he, so yeah, they they kind of went both ways with this one. Like he was both like ridiculously Silver Age in the way that his like plan is very poorly thought out. Oh God, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But and then it's like there's things that I think are interesting about Magneto just in general as a character that I can't really hold the movie accountable for necessarily. Like the, as you talk about the uh, his experience in the concentration camps forming him and shaping him. Um, at the same time, I feel like sometimes they are very casual with their usage of World War II imagery without really having to commit to any of the ugliness of what that situation actually was. Um, mm-hmm. They do give you, like, the tattoo. That is revisited again and again throughout the franchise. Um, And that's important. And, you know, good God, there's, like, you can't... If you want to give somebody a backstory that's going to justify any level of violence that they commit, I would say that them having lived through a concentration camp is a really good start. (laughs) Like, that's, like, obviously, like, one of the most horrifying scenarios. But it also is interesting because I feel like they throw that down before we even see Magneto. So we don't even see what he's doing and we already have this like kind of pseudo justification for his actions. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's interesting to me. uh, I don't 
it's like it's strange i don't think that they shouldn't bring it up they definitely should it's such a huge part obviously like any person who went through that experience it's like obviously changed their lives forever um and of course it did with magneto but at the same time uh that's always the first thing people say about him too so in storylines they're always immediately like well he survived like the holocaust and it's like yes um you don't get that backstory from any other character like right off of the bat i don't think and it's kind of interesting to me just that like that's something that they opened the movie with because it's not really explained for quite some time (laughs) like they're just kind of like here's this scene of this kid that, that's our um, first mutant scene. It is. And that's, I mean, like, I can't, I don't want to ever take away from how powerful that backstory is for Magneto. Like, that's a huge story. Um, and obviously it, like, really gives a lot of perspective on what his actions are. But then in this movie, he's just doing this kind of stupid-ass plan <laughs> that's, like, not yeah. that great. So it's kind of just plan. like... We need to talk about the plan, because I'm not even sure... What he thinks the plan is. Yeah, that's and it, that's recurring. That's every movie. You're just like, yeah. wait, did you even run this by somebody before you decided to do it? But then it's also just like, so they're giving this justification for his actions well before we even see what his actions actually are. So I kind of have questions about it as far as just the way that they use it in a storytelling approach. But also, I mean... There's there's no arguing with how profound and upsetting that image is of like a young boy being ripped away from his parents and they're going to be killed. Like, you know, you can't undersell that. <laughs> like, yeah. But also, I feel like they toss it out a lot where they're just kind of like, well, he was in the Holocaust, you know, and it's like every yeah, five shorthand. Kind of, yeah, they're just like, well, check this out, though. And it's like, yes. <laughs> but, Although there was that great line in the third movie where they're like. How come you don't have a mutant tattoo? He's yep. like, I have this, I have this tattoo, and no one else is gonna give me a tattoo or something like that. Yeah, it's that very was really good. It was good, and I was really interested in that as a as a thing that he said, really just in general, because it was also just like these girls don't know you. They didn't have to. You didn't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, they don't even know what that, that means, far. probably. Yeah, they have no idea what you're talking about, and you're just like, check this out. Like, I'm just going to, like, throw this down on the table for everybody. So if you want to know, like... And I just, I don't think that that's really how most of us... We're not that flippant with our personal tragedies, where we're just kind of like, well, guess what person I just met? Yeah. I went to the Holocaust. It's just like, yeah. that's not really normal so it's weird kind of it kind of comes off heavy-handed sometimes um they're they're like they're sort of if you're going to bring up your personal tragedies i don't know i kind of feel like you want to make sure the person is ready to hear it before Mm -hmm. you say it they weren't at a meeting they weren't at a meeting about oppression so maybe he was just feeling it yeah he's like guess what gang um but but you made me think of something with, with along the lines of that is that um you know a lot of survivors of the holocaust went through life without a lot you know i'm sure once you get past the initial trauma and you've coped and you're going through your later years um not a lot of hatred Mm -hmm. not a lot of resentment not a lot of antipathy for you know any particular group so it's interesting that magneto has come to the year 2000 full of hatred yeah it's 
It's interesting that his Jewish heritage only comes up as, like, something terrible that he has to bear, too. I think that that's, like, he. we never talk about Magneto being Jewish, except for to be, like, well, his parents were killed in the Holocaust. So you never by the see way, what that means. His parents were killed by Sebastian Shaw, if we really want to start getting all... <laughs> continuity about this who right. is a mute who is a mutant so if anything he should right. hate mutant although oh, i don't know if he knew he was a mutant a at the time dimension we're gonna have to talk about yeah mm-hmm. but while we're on the subject of magneto's personality i just want to point out this line from wolverine where he says and i'm gonna cuss for the guy who lets his kids listen to us you're so <laughs> full of shit if you're really so righteous it'd be you in that thing mm-hmm. and to me to me that summarizes magneto like if you need to know something about Magneto and why he as a is a villain, that's it. Because unlike you know, he doesn't just have a cause where he loves his fellow mutants and he wants them all to live in peace from these evil humans, and he would go out of his way to help his mutants. No, no, no. He's gonna put. He wants to be the ruler, and he's gonna put mutants in harm's way to get his job done. So he's mm-hmm. not like he's not like like there's always that that um, comparison between uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. You know, Malcolm X will resort to violence. Yeah, he would, but he wouldn't throw his own people under the bus. Mm-hmm. You know, and Magneto is perfectly happy to do that. So that's what makes him a villain. Yeah, uh, was... there was. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. I just wanted because um, I feel like another point I was gonna make about Magneto spins off really well from that, and that is that um, there's that crucial moment in what is it, Uncanny 200? where they're all fighting and he like stops himself from killing Kitty Pride. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I, when I made the note of that while watching the movie, I thought that, you know, he top stopped himself from destroying a mutant because he wouldn't destroy mutants. But now I'm trying to question that moment based on some things y'all have said, was it her star of David necklace that stopped him? Was it the yeah. fact that she was Jewish and he was Jewish and he was destroying somebody just like his people have been destroyed? Mm-hmm. Was that what stopped him? I can't remember the moment now or how it was written. Yeah, I don't remember that either. I do remember the scene with Kitty Pride. That issue was so good, and I'm just going to go back and read it again. <laughs> yeah, I need to go read it too. But, but one of the main reasons I had a problem with this story is that his entire plot hinges on sacrificing Rogue. It does in the following movies, too. Like, he has no issue with sacrificing other mutants. No, but yeah, he's very he never, Silver and he, Age. He, and yeah, he ha- I'm not going to say he never has, because obviously there's been times he's been a good guy. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, he's developed as a character. But that's at least how he started out. So, mm-hmm. like, his that's- side of things, you can't take his side in a way, because who wants him to be the leader? Mm-hmm. He's no better than the people that are trying to impress us. He's actually worse, maybe, because he's actually putting me in harm's way. Yeah, and I think that that's also an, a huge reason why that comparison between, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but the comparisons between uh, MLK and Malcolm X really fall apart is definitely yeah. has a lot to do with the fact that Magneto is an extremist and Malcolm X had a lot of valid points. Like, yeah. there's two really different worlds. And also, yeah. I mean, you know, you can't, there's no comparison between like these two civil rights leaders and uh, you know comic book characters. That's just not yeah, a mean, thing. Well, but, I mean, just Malcolm X was about protecting his people, and yeah. I never, I never feel like Magneto is ever about protecting his people. It's about destroying people who like hurt his feelings or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and this movie is just perfect with that. Like you notice, Magneto doesn't even have a response. He just flies out the window or flies out the roof. And it's like, yep, he got you, man. Nailed yeah. it. You're right. See you next movie. <laughs> like, yeah. So 
next time we play chess. <laughs> so I don't know. We could talk about his plan or we could talk about Mystique because we still haven't talked about Mystique. But We didn't uh, need to talk about Mystique. But let's do the plan because we're on Magneto. Do you guys think that he was aware that his machine kills humans or does he is he just obtuse and thinks they're all going to turn to mutants? Because it's like they kind of told him like, hey, that professor guy died and he sort of – I can't remember what his response was. But it was like, really? Or, oh, OK, mm-hmm. whatever. And then he just kept going on with his plan anyway. So if his plan is to kill all the people in the – and you know the politicians or whatever that doesn't sound like a very good plan because it's not like he could rule the world after that if his plan is to turn them all into mutants so that they now write mutant policy i guess that's a slightly better plan but he seems like he seems like kind of an idiot that he didn't believe that you know the dude died even though he saw Uh him turn to rubber and fall out the window so i don't know it's just like weird i wasn't really sure where he was what page he was on when it came to this plan they're they're just truly silver age plans like where you're just like okay and yeah. magnetism does what now? Like, yeah. Just that kind of thing where you're like, okay, dude, I guess that'll work. Question mark. Have fun. Like. So mutation we know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So mutation we know comes from a, you know, energy blob circle passing over your body and not from anything genetic. Is that right? <laughs> right. I, I just like. Like, first of all, the idea that he would want to turn lowly humans into something like him to make him less special seems really odd to me. God. Um, but if his reasoning was, I think he says at some point in the movie, it's because those are all the decision makers. So it's like if they're mutants, just like, you know, when they're rich, they're going to write. Well, now they're going to write rules for mutant friends, I guess. I guess that's his reasoning. I'm not sure that would actually play out like that. But um, I'm also just not sure if he's not straight up trying to kill them. But if he is, that seems like a really hard way to do it. He could just have like rivets go through their foreheads or something. Right. And what a weird choice for Robert Kelly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just a weird storytelling choice. You could use any character. You could make up a new character, but to use a character that has very specific storylines in the comics and to kill him by turning him into a, you know, discontiguous massive protoplasm that falls apart on your table. It's just, it's just weird. <laughs> But yeah. even weirder, even weirder is that Henry Peter Gyrick <laughs> is his assistant. Yeah. <laughs> they're just throwing out names that they own, I guess. I guess. Yeah, that's probably exactly what they're doing. They're just like, hey, we've got this name. Hey, we've got that character. Let's just use them. Was he ever associated with the X-Men or are they just throwing that in there? X-Men cartoon. Okay, but like comic books, he's an Avengers guy. He's Gyrick? Yeah. Oh, or was God. he part of the X-Men too? I not part, like not on was, their team. I mean, like a jerk to them or whatever. Right. I feel like he was at a time. I get them confused. There's like that one kind of jerky politician character that's really interchangeable, basically. And <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like probably he's been in X-Men stories. He seems like he would hate mutants. Sure. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I don't I mean, have a memory of him being in the X-Men. I just remember like... Somebody who vaguely looks like him probably being an X-Men, like, opponent at some point, or debate opponent <laughs> at some point. Yeah. I feel I like he that. probably shows up in a lot of those, like, council meetings where they're, like, debating the roles of metahumans or superhumans in world affairs. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they're sure. always like, look at every person that we've invented that talks about politics ever in yeah. Marvel Comics. Who's, <laughs> they're who's all that, who's that blonde lady? Val Cooper. Yeah, yeah Val Cooper. But... Like, she's always the head of those meetings. <laughs> oh, hi, Val Cooper. It's nice to see you again here at this meeting. 
Yeah. Has she <laughs> yeah. been in any of these movies? Valerie Cooper? So. I don't think he's seen yeah. one. Oh, I love oh, her. I weird. think she's great. She's like the X-Men take on Maria Hill or something. Just, right. she's great. Or Maria Hill is the knockoff of Val yeah. Cooper. Yeah, fair enough. Um, just scrolling through his appearances, there are a good, you know, dozen-ish X-Men related issues in the 80s okay. that he appeared in. But I'm, not <laughs> sure what, I'm not sure how large a role he had in those. Tried to shut him down, just like he did the Avengers. He's on a roll. It was going to be Defenders <laughs> next, but then the Champions. Oh, God. <laughs> you didn't even have to try to shut down the Champions. They were just going to do that. <laughs> right. That's why he retired. It's like, wow, they're doing their work for me. I might as well just chill. It goes faster if I just chill and wait for them to do it. <laughs> <laughs> We were watching and Magneto was walking somewhere with his cape flowing. And my daughter says that Magneto and Darth Vader have very similar energies. Like <laughs> chaotic diva really describes both of them. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> okay. So we don't know what his plan was and we're just going <laughs> to, no. we just decided that the X-Men movie did not really convey it very well. And nobody has any idea what no. he was really thinking. Okay. So Mystique. <laughs> yep. That's the last character we haven't talked about, right? Yeah, right. I think so. All right. What'd you guys think of that? Um, I thought she was great, um, but like underplayed and not as good and all of the things that I would always say about anything. But um, she, I think, was the surprise for me when I like watched this back because I was like, oh, I like her. Like, I don't remember having a very positive opinion of this character because she is uh, really underused, obviously. And the whole thing with her being on like a team with Magneto doesn't really make sense. Anytime they pair Mystique with like a powerful male character, I'm always like that. I don't uh-huh. get this. Um, <laughs> like you're telling me a story about a different character, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I thought that she did a good job in the role. Like she wasn't in it as much as she should have been, but she shows up just to crack heads and do the Mystique thing. So I thought she was pretty good. I was like, I was like, uh, uh, you know, Rebecca Romaine, really? Come on. I don't know. That's not <laughs> yeah. going to work. But you know what? It totally works. And I, I actually, I feel kind of bad that they've given her part to Jennifer Lawrence now and made Mystique like this hero of the people and all this stuff and That's everything. Because like, right. it's not only not right, but it's like now she gets the credit for being Mystique when really, man, to me, this Mystique is so much more interesting uh-huh. and well, more fun. Ruthless. Like that's Yeah. Like- most important thing, if you tell any story about Mystique ever, no matter what format, medium, whatever, the most important thing to always remember about that character is she is absolutely ruthless. Like, she, And she gets the job done. She will do that job. She will kill everybody on the premises. That's like, <laughs> like, it's like, it's like um, Magneto's only good person on his team. Yeah, she pops up in like it, the for the first time in like Miss Marvel in the seventies, or I, it might not have been the first time. I think she was in Avengers. No, that first, was that but, was the first time she was in Miss Marvel, and they were going to do more with her in Miss Marvel, but got killed. Yeah, but she beats a guy to death like the second time she appears on a panel. Like she just meets somebody that Carol Danvers liked and is just like, you know, I'm gonna kill this guy, um, just cause, just cause she wants to protect. I mean, in the comics, she's very queer and she wants to protect her girlfriend and her daughter who's rogue um but like no matter what no matter what your your line is where where you're coming from with mystique you just always have to remember that she is going to literally kill like everybody on the grounds um and she might kill you when the job's done too like she's gonna you know always just be the most ruthless character 
And that was kind of where she shined in this movie because she does totally just like break a dude's neck and with her and, feet. And like, you know what's one weird? Fight scene where she's fighting the guy with her feet. Yeah. yeah. She kills the or she knocks out the senator or whatever with her feet. Yeah. And in the helicopter. And but like, like what's crazy? She's got like three lines, I think, but every single line informs you of what she's about. So it's like they're good lines. Yeah, they you really know? are. Like, she's actually really impressive. <laughs> I was yeah. like, kind of blown away. And she's, as we say, like, super underused. We barely see her. But at the same time, like, she, <laughs> like, gives Wolverine a run for his money while, like, the other two female <laughs> characters are getting beaten down by Toad. So I, it's like... <laughs> I was just going to say, when a Sabretooth Wolverine fight is not as good as a Sabretooth, or as a Mystique Wolverine fight, yeah, you have a, you have a problem. Yeah, and you know, and or you're actually kind of like giving Mystique the respect she deserves, while yeah. certainly not giving Sabretooth any right, respect. Right, right, right. <laughs> she uh, she had a, a great effect to her change, mm-hmm. and I love the fact that like the the texture to her makeup design on her skin, everything, all those little you know, all those little spots, raised spots all over her, were like part of the effect of the change because those were like yeah. move in and change you know as as part of the effect it was really cool um i think they're you know trying to convey that as a shapeshifter she has a lot more control over all the smaller portions of her body than a normal person would have hence the you know variety of fighting styles and everything Mm -hmm. um i don't think it's this movie because i was looking for it i didn't see it but in my head there's a shot of her like somebody's fighting her and they have her like her back is to them but then she like shape shifts her face around. No, oh, that's suddenly T2. her back is her front. Is that in two? That's in okay. T two. Terminator two. <laughs> yeah, but I think Mystique does it too. I could be wrong. Really? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, Maybe I'm making up crap. I don't know. But um yeah, I love her in this. And yeah, she didn't talk a whole lot. And you know, of course, none of her relationships from the stories are here. No. And I, actually as as I'm going through my read through, I've been watching the cartoon as well. And her first couple of appearances, it makes you wonder if they're going to use any of that too. Cause like she appears in the Genosha story and then she's like right. a servant of apocalypse for no reason. <laughs> yeah. And she has a couple of meets with rogue before she's like, Oh daughter, you know? And like, Oh, okay. I guess, <laughs> I guess they are going to use that. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah. So it's, it's, it's really weird. I'm thinking of her lines. I swear she's got like two lines or, and they're, but they're really good. I don't remember what the lines were. Actually. Something like, uh, it's people like you that made me scared to go to, to go school to as school, a child. Yeah. And then yeah. she knocks him out with her feet. And then I think that's all she says in this movie, except for the screaming when she gets stabbed. Uh, but then like in X-Men 2, she says one line where Nightcrawler's like, why don't you look like everybody else if you can? She's like, because I shouldn't have to or something like that. Like yeah. both those, It's like, dang, two really good lines for a really underdeveloped character that still for some reason shines on these in these movies. Something else that's interesting about her, too, is that there was such a big to-do at the time about the fact that she was essentially appearing naked, um, but covered with makeup, Mm -hmm. and she's not really sexualized in her role no. at all. And right. I think it's awesome. Like it's yeah. kind of like maybe the, I don't know what it, it's like a byproduct of like them just not really, uh, I don't know. There was like, none of the women are really sexualized, but they are like underestimated a lot. Whereas mm. like, uh, 
Mystique is not sexualized, but she really could be, like, very yeah. easily. And she often is in the comic, like, in ways that just don't even make sense. Um, so it, it was interesting to have this take on Mystique where it's like, this is literally, like, one of the least exploitative takes on this character, <laughs> like, ever. Which you would think the opposite, because, like you said, she's basically she's walking around <laughs> with naked and, you know, and little shells over her. <laughs> She's like yeah. a gorgeous woman, like, and they really don't play up that part of her in this movie, which has but, to, I mean, it's so strange. And, like, I wonder sometimes, like, what Romaine Stamos's, uh ideas on this character were. Um, I kind of don't know, I guess. And I remember that her, like, you know, every interview with her was her just being like, uh, makeup forever. <laughs> like, yeah, dear God. Um, but so, yeah, sorry, go ahead. So with every shapeshifter, there always comes up the moment when you realize they're always naked. Yeah. The clothes <laughs> that they're wearing are not really clothes. You know that that you think about that with Odo. You think uh-huh. about that. You know, there's there's a lot of times where that comes up. So I can totally see a conversation of let's go with that idea. Mm-hmm. But she's just so when she's in her natural state, she's not wearing any clothes. She's mm-hmm. just you know walking around herself. Um, and I like that idea and hopefully it was a conscious conversation, but if we're going to do this, we can't, we can't be boyish about it. We can't play it up. We can't sexualize it. We just got to let that be her look. Mm-hmm. And yeah, interesting. I'd like to think that that was a conscious conversation, a decision on their part. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to, I don't want to give Brian Singer like any level of credit <laughs> in my life if I Fair can point. avoid it. Fair point. Um, well, well, maybe but, the uh, costume designers so. did it. But maybe <laughs> the costume designers did it, yeah. Or maybe it was just Romaine Stamos, you know, and just kind of a combination of like, you know, having a director who's like a gay man who's not necessarily like that interested in it, you know, but then there's like so many other people involved. So it's really hard to say like what the decision making process was there, I guess. Um, maybe they like did shoot a whole sequence of sexy mystique and we just never saw it. You know, that's could be too, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I really don't, but it was really kind of, uh, one of the most impressive things about this movie revisiting it was her role as mystique. It's interesting because, you know, we have this mystique here who is portrayed this way <laughs> and then later they're going to have Jennifer Lawrence mm-hmm. who, um, boo. There's yeah, a lot more wearing thing. of clothes, I guess. And I, yeah. I think I think a part of that is the actor does not She's not a as real actor walking around <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um but No, I I let me backpedal because I actually do think she's a pretty good actress. I just or actor. I just don't like her mystique per se, but yes. I've liked her in other movies. Yeah, and there's also just I always wonder like what level of commitment any actor has to like the source material because I think so few would actually care at all (laughs) like of course because it was like especially in the year 2000 it was like you know much I don't know I guess it was like starting to change but I remember whenever I was a teenager I got made fun of for reading comics you know um, it like wasn't sure oh yeah Uh, (laughs) it's cool now I guess this is the golden age kids yeah have fun nobody's like and you're welcome you're welcome you're welcome that we all (laughs) suffered for you seriously um (laughs) but also it's just kind of like i don't know especially at this time like i know that you know there was a lot of people having conversation i don't know how valid this conversation is either but like some people were like oh well holly berry doesn't have interest in playing storm 
And I'm just like, well, yeah, of course you wouldn't, because if you like looked at the script, it's there's nothing there. Um, but if you read the comic, you'd be like, oh, my fucking God, I'm playing Storm. Like, this is amazing. Um, yeah. So I have I always wonder and I'm just like, did any of these people like maybe other than I guess like one person or two people like read the comics that much? Because a lot know, of it uh... seems based on the cartoon. I know a li- this is not in this movie, but I know Olivia Munn was a comic book reader because mm-hmm. she goes on and on about how she fought with them over her wardrobe because she wanted <laughs> it, she wanted it to be comic accurate. And they're like, well, we have this awesome black suit. No. You know, <laughs> no. Oh, how about this? How about this black suit with like a purple slash? No. You know, <laughs> like she just straight up wanted the outfit. And if you notice, she's like the only X-Men in all these entire movies that looks like Psylocke. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? true. I don't know if she... <laughs> much she cared about the character but she was at least aware of what she was supposed to look like mm-hmm. but yeah, most, so. most actors always say like they they read it after the fact which you know is legit sure. i guess totally i mean <laughs> yeah. well, the vast majority of actors are coming to play a part and so they learn about the literature behind that part to play the part so mm-hmm. um you know there's one minor character that we we passed over that I wanted to at least say i liked it and that was uh bobby drake as iceman Oh. Not Bobby Drake as Iceman, but you know their portrayal of Bobby Drake Iceman. Mm-hmm. Where he we find cool. out that the uh, security on the X Mansion <laughs> is like nothing apparently, because Mystique just like walks up as Iceman to Rogue during that one sequence. She and then, had like, more access to those kids than they do to my middle school kids. Uh, she also she also accessed Cerebro. Yeah, no, that was nuts. And then like later, like Xavier's like heaven help anybody who comes to attack the school or something. And it's like, that happens like five times. <laughs> this Cause movie. we're just going to let them right in. <laughs> Cause we have no defense procedure. Oh. Like, okay. Whatsoever. But you mentioned Cerebro. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Cerebro design looks really neat and mm-hmm. it's pretty great. And it reminds me of those like Omni theaters. Oh, yeah. They're like IMAX, but on a dome and like really amazing everything. But here's my question. What does the big round room actually do? <laughs> well, I don't know. Oh, gosh. the helmet I, I get. Uh huh. But the big round room. <laughs> Besides <laughs> looking really cool. <laughs> and there's just like so much space too, because it's like there's some things where you can be like, oh well, maybe he just like needs a lot of like concentration and solitude, and it's just like, but why is he like suspended, like? <laughs> in the air like on this like little platform like it's a it's a room that somebody designed after reading the line magneto helped me build it (laughs) they're like well what would a mac what would a room look like that magneto had to build (laughs) yeah a big round metal room because that'd be really hard that'd be really hard to make i feel like it was just designed as a venue for visual effects yeah like we want to show what's going on in his mind so to show that we need to put it on a movie theater screen. That's mm. a whole room. <laughs> <laughs> and then it can yeah. like fill with these like uh, astral projections of people or whatever, which is always just kind of like, why do you need that effect? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. None of it makes any sense, but that's fine, Cerebro. Well, in the first movie, in this movie, he's alone in that room, so you could argue he's just seen that. But I think <laughs> in point. I think in subsequent movies like Wolvie's standing there smoking a cigar or whatever and he sees it too. So Oh there no, goes and that. plus in this one, Jean walks in, remember? She uses oh. for like five seconds. Yeah, yeah, so I don't I don't know. Maybe it's just those plates like amplify the helmet or something's range. I have no <laughs> idea. 
the first time we cerebro with the first time we see cerebro in the comics it's like this weird bit of geometry coming out of his classroom desk with some <laughs> labeled buttons on the side and that's that's cerebro so well, that's, it's come that's a long not way, as cool you know, as a, a reverse epcot center that, that looks much better oh, yeah, inverse it epcot <laughs> it's like an in, uh, <laughs> backwards epcot or something yeah <laughs> Okay, so I just have a few small moments in the movie that I just want to mention. Sure. Um, so one of the early Magneto in the Brotherhood scene, he's got that Newton's cradle that's not attached to anything. He's, like, got the dots. The, the, the little balls are, like, clicking, clacking back and forth. Uh-huh. And it's right. so funny because, like, that device exists because of conservation of momentum and everything, and it hinges upon the fact that they're swinging from strings. But oh no, <laughs> Magneto's making them do it just to look cool. <laughs> and when Magneto walks out of the room, all the balls fall to the desk and clatter to the floor. <laughs> and it's really tiny, it's off to the side, but it definitely happens. And I think it's really funny that he just, like, you know, lets them fall and doesn't well, care. They also <laughs> stop when he gets annoyed, right? Wasn't that a visual cue that he's not happy? Maybe. When they stop. Maybe stopped. he did that too. They stopped moving whenever he got annoyed with Sabretooth? Like, yeah, Sabretooth says, like, they got away and it stops. Like, that's how oh, we that's know right. that he's annoyed. So it was <laughs> kind, of a cool, kind of a cool visual cue. But, yeah, it's like it could have been anything. It could have been floating pennies or whatever. <laughs> not pennies. Yeah, I guess pennies. <laughs> it could have been pennies clacking yeah, back and forth instead of spheres. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Um, they have all of their costumes on display cases. Which I thought was really funny as a visual. And Batman. also, do they have to pull them off the mannequins to put them on? Yes. Because getting clothes on and off a mannequin is not easy. I would love to see that scene. And you know that all comes from like 89 Batman and yeah. subsequent God. Batman. And also, No, but all that case stuff. Like it has to be in a case and look bat Batman ass or something. You know, I don't know. Yeah. It's just silly. Just put it in a closet. Get over yourself. <laughs> And also, everybody's wearing like leather pants, <laughs> like through the. So day. yeah, so that was another disappointment. <laughs> is like, and of course they poke fun at it, poke fun at it, and say, "What do you, what do you want? Yellow spandex, <laughs> something like that." But uh, I do remember being like disappointed that they were all kind of just wearing black, um, you know, like ninja outfits. But it doesn't bother me anymore. I just remember back then it did because it's like the first big Marvel movie, and these guys are superheroes, but they don't look like superheroes. They look like a you know, uh, elite Marine squad or something like that, you know? <laughs> well, I feel like we were, I mean, at the time they were trying to turn superhero movies into something to be taken seriously again. Mm-hmm. And the, the later Batman films had kind of put a, put a taste in people's mouth about over, over cartooning and over toyifying the look of everything. So I can see why the pendulum swung the other way, but mm-hmm. if we're going to, if we're going to come up with an in universe reason for the yellow spandex line, I like to think that the team used to wear yellow spandex. <laughs> yes. And of course we find out in later continuities that that's exactly what it was is that, you know, the first class wore the yellow costumes. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's true. And I actually do like now, I kind of like better when the X-Men wear uniforms as a team, but that didn't happen for a while. Yeah. I like it started it. out that way. But. I like it when they do uh, a uniform look and they all add their individual flourishes to it. Yeah. Like yeah, you see, ten, whenever, ten whenever pieces of flair. <laughs> yes. Whenever uh, Grant Morrison takes over on like X Men or whatever, and they have these like very similar outfits. Mm-hmm. You know, Jean still has like her jacket open, and like that's like the Jean move. Yeah. You know, and then it, like yeah, everybody has, has like has their own mask. thing. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And that was the kind of the motif originally, is they all had really similar designs, but like you know, Cyclops had the cowl, and um, Angel had the wings, and Beast. Oh, Bobby just got naked except for his boots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and Beast has no boots. <laughs> Beast has no boots, and, and Jean Grey has the ever-changing uh, headpiece. Yep. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so this movie and the cartoon evolution and the start of the Morrison run are all kind of at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, and the Ultimate X Men was also right at the time. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god. We didn't talk That's about Wolverine. And, I, I thought about bringing it up, but the whole Wolverine and Jean conversation earlier and the way Ultimate X Men does that is a whole other conversation. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> oh geez. Um Yeah. Yeah. So, do you guys know the so one? a few other small moments? Um, we was that? Do you guys know the one line that Joss Whedon's script got to keep, or the? <laughs> The one, no. the one line in the movie that was from Josh Whedon's script, I guess. Uh-oh. Uh, how do I know it's really you? You're an asshole. <laughs> that was Josh <laughs> he's Whedon. he's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. That was it. We, um, oh, okay. <laughs> we did get a very brief glimpse of both Kitty Pride and Jubilee in this, mm-hmm. which I, I think I remember noticing the Kitty before, but I had never noticed Jubilee before. Oh, and... yeah, and that yellow jacket just stands out. I wish that... <laughs> We had seen so much more of Jubilee in this movie. Right. She looked like Jubilee. Like, she had to look down. And she's not going to be in Dark Phoenix, but she got to at least do a little bit in Apocalypse. And mm-hmm. I would love to see more Jubilee on screen as an Asian-American, you know, Chinese you know, actress. But, you know, if not that Asian-American actress is, you know, portraying the character, mm-hmm. um, I would just love to see more Jubilee on screen. Yeah, with the motor the, mount, talking too much, Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> never stopping talking. Um, yeah, she's so good. She's such a good character, such an underplayed character. Doesn't get to show up enough. The actor that they actually did have for Apocalypse was like awesome. I just feel like she's been slept on. Like people just kind of like skip over her, and it's just like, no, please go back. <laughs> like, please. And um, yeah, that's I think the last thing I had. Uh, Magneto mentioned something about the U.S. being the land of tolerance and peace, and you know, <laughs> and I was just like, Ugh, okay. <laughs> oh, Magneto, that's rough. Yeah, that's 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 the thing. Well, there. maybe he was being sarcastic. Yeah, he'd have to be. <laughs> He's yeah. like, oh, I've never heard of any injustice here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, just 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 let you know, while you were in a concentration camp, we were making our own. <laughs> There's some <laughs> stuff. Um, the one other thing I guess kind of that we can start you know moving towards closing is you do get the feel throughout this movie that they had a pretty good idea of what they were gonna do with two. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, they set it up nice. Yeah, and maybe <laughs> they didn't have all of their ducks in a row. Maybe they did. Who knows? I, I don't think it was you know anything like a um, two scripts being produced you know back to back kind of thing. But um, like you know, with Superman and Superman Two or that sort of thing, but they definitely had an idea of where that was going to go, which is which is great. Mm-hmm. But um, and then by two, they knew what they wanted to do with three because they kind of set that up there. But I don't, they didn't do anything in this one that really felt Dark Phoenixy. So I guess that was still you know far off. Mm-hmm. But um, so you know, going into this conversation, I wasn't entirely sure what shape it was going to take. It's a very different shape than I was expecting. But I think we, mm-hmm. I think we did some good stuff. You know, we love these characters and we want to see films that do the characters justice. And there are good things done in this movie 
but there are just so many missed opportunities. And I think that's that's the sort of theme of our disappointment with this film is missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't want to end it by saying I'm disappointed in the film. I like the film. <laughs> uh, it's not my favorite of the series. So we can get into that as we go along someday. But uh, just it's just, yeah, it's very bare bones in a way. And a lot of the characters that we know and love, because, you know, let's face it, the X-Men has some crazy long continuity with some pretty good writers or writer. Um, so it is kind of disappointing sometimes to see some of these characters that are so rich in the comics to just be completely, you know, relegated to the sidelines or, you know, with one or two lines here and there, but, but just like as a, as a way of introducing Marvel to the world as a way of like saying, Oh, here's what X-Men is about for those who don't know, which if you think about it in 2000 was probably a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And like we take for granted now that everybody knows who Wolverine is, but that was not a thing. When I was growing mm-hmm. up, as, as popular as he was in the 80s, your average grocery store clerk did not know who Wolverine was. You know, mm-hmm. he was popular. He was popular to comic nerds. So this movie put that on the map and opened up this, you know, X-Men universe that I actually like quite a bit, even though it's kind of hit or miss individually. Like, uh, yeah, I just like it's a it's a decent kickoff. It could have been better. Mm-hmm. Closing thoughts, Sarah. Um, I would say that this movie does everything it needs to do. I am a comic book fan. I'm always going to side with the comics. I'm never going to fully embrace the Fox movie X-Men films. Um, But yeah, it just, it's like they had to change. They couldn't just keep being who they were like in the nineties and in the eighties. Like, they had to go in a different direction and this is what opened up the 2000s and then we see a lot of the things that got really interesting afterwards like bringing back the five original x-men in the comics having like a more interesting cyclops like you know even the uniform changes in the comics that this influenced it being better known um all of those things came from this movie so it's like you can't really i mean if i'm an x-men fan i can't disavow this any more than i can disavow like you know the first 10 issues of x-force like they (laughs) were really bad but like you can't have what happens next without them so i can't really say that i'm that disappointed and if anything even though i have a lot of things where i'm like oh that's not as good as in the comics like even though I have those feelings, I would say I was still kind of surprised by how much I thought this was good. Like, I enjoyed the CGI. There was all of these problems that I knew were there already, but, you know, you have Gene at least being played by a really good actor, and then you have, like, Hugh Jackman Wolverine, and in the very first time we get to see him, like, all of that, I think. And then, you know, just having it be kind of, like, fleshed out in a film... All of that made it be more enjoyable for me to, like, look back on than it was in, like, 2000, whenever I was, like, mad teenager. And just, like, this is ruining my favorite thing. Um, It didn't ruin my favorite thing. It changed it, which is good. I feel like this did a a lot to put the X-Men out there in the public eye and to put superhero movies back on a positive keel. Because at the end of the day, it is an enjoyable movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the the superhero action is superhero-y. It looks good. Um, you definitely come away from this film with a lot of visuals for characters who were never known outside of comics and cartoons before this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And a few of those characters get a bit more depth. You know, we have a Wolverine, we have a Rogue, we have a Magneto, we have a little bit of a Charles Xavier, a little bit of a um, Jean Grey, and then everyone else is just, you know, Mystique, but then everyone Mm -hmm. else is just kind of there. But at least, you know, they are now there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and in a 90 to 120 minute team movie, you're not going to be able to give a whole lot of people a lot of depth. Mm-hmm. So giving a little more depth to a few people is 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 a choice. And I think, you know, it sets the stage for focusing on only a few. and But then the rest of them never get a whole lot of focus. And I think that's unfortunate, but that's, that's decisions for later movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have come to really love the X-Men over the last couple of years as I've been doing my read-through. And I know that's, you know... I don't know. I feel like loving the X-Men is kind of such a stereotypical Marvel fanboy thing to say, but you know, I, I do, I really love the X-Men. So they're, they're mm-hmm. taking her, whatever. So I'm looking forward to going through the other films and seeing what works and what doesn't. Um, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to watching them with a more learned eye now. So that's, that's going to be fun. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, X-Men 2000, that is done. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never watch it again. No. <laughs> Y2K and X-Men. Are over. <laughs> oh, Y2K. <laughs> you know, the lights actually flickered for half a second at our house when it's when it hit midnight. And I don't even know why that happened, but it did. We thought it you was know, the world. You know what was scary about Y2K? I wasn't scared about Y2K. I was scared that I went to the grocery store, store the night that Y2K was going to happen. And everybody was there buying large quantities of water <laughs> and stuff. That made me scared because I thought... Even if nothing happens, us stupid humans are going to do something really bad tonight when we panic. But yep. eh, it worked out. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. We made it 18 years later, although the real Y2K is still supposed to happen. Um, that was somewhere, the thing that came up. Somewhere out there like, the right now. The real Y2K, it's going to be at the end of 2000. We go to 2001. Somewhere <laughs> out there right now, there's kids Wikipediaing Y2K right now. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing. Oh, my gosh. There are adults. Who don't know what Y2 is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, it's I tur- good to be old. <laughs> yeah, I turned I'm turn 40 this year. It's gonna be great. Oh, fun. Yeah. That was that was my least favorite day ever. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> okay. So um we're gonna come back next month with uh um X2. And then we're gonna have to kind of play the schedule by ear after that, because after that we have we want to talk about Daredevil in a soon month. And then we also have a whole slew of new movies coming into the spring and summer. Um, but, you know, as much as schedules are uh, able to work and uh, that Sarah is willing to do it, we're going to try to get back together as much as possible um, to talk more X-Men. And just to put an expectation out there, we're not going to do Dark Phoenix when it comes out. Um, we're going to save that for the end of our X-Men discussion um so listener land we usually cover new movies when they come out but we're gonna put an exception on dark phoenix because um one of the reasons one of the things that inspired this x-men movie rewatch and discussion is because the fox marvel x-men films are basically coming to an end and uh this is sort of our you know take it all in one big last journey type of thing Okay, so um, remind everyone where they can hear you, see you, read you, whatever else, uh, Sarah. 
Uh, right now, it's just through Fangirls, pretty much. That'll change probably in the next few months. Um, I will probably still be at Fangirls, but there will be other things. Um, but for right now, yeah, just Fangirls. Okay. And that's at Sci-Fi Fangirls on Twitter. And uh, um, you can go to the sci-fi.com website and search that branch of their website. Mm-hmm. And I'm on Twitter, too. I'm on Instagram. Both of those are as Sarah Century, so pretty easy. Pretty easy. No, no H. No H. Yeah. yeah, please, God. <laughs> well, I don't usually spell century with an H. <laughs> yeah. We're, each, we're all different. <laughs> but Kaiser the Great has an H. Where are you on Twitter, Mike? Uh, Kaiser the Great with with uh, with one H. Yeah. Right? In, right? In the expected okay, yeah. place. Yeah, in the expected place. <laughs> but I don't really do anything on Twitter, so if you don't follow me there, you're not missing anything. I do. The only thing I do is here, so if you're already listening to this, you're you're all set for me. <laughs> I think I have five Twitter accounts. <laughs> oh, God, right. You do, huh? Um, so, because I have, you know, myself, John Reads Comics. Um, I do most of the uh, use of our Make Ours Marvel Twitter account, although I don't know why Mike isn't in there more. But, you know, you're welcome to, Mike. Just log in and, and, and be Make Ours Marvel. <laughs> eh, you got it. Okay. Um, I have my other show, uh, All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, where I'm journeying through the early years of Image Comics. And uh, my daughter has recently joined me there talking about the Max, uh, because that's a pretty great comic there. And um, I also have the show that I do with my son. Every Saturday, there is a new episode of Super Silly Sentai, which you can either listen to while you watch your own copy of, or go to a website and like you know watch while we talk about the um, the early episodes of the Japanese superhero show uh, Go Ranger, which is the great grandfather of the Power Rangers TV show. Um, so that is uh, at Silly Sentai on Twitter, um, and I do a tweet blog of the Scarlet Witch at It's Wanda Time on Twitter. So <laughs> there's that. Lots and lots and lots and lots of Twitter stuff. Anyways. Does it, do other people do this? Do other people like have all their different things on different Twitter accounts or just put them all on one? Am I weird? I don't know how to Twitter. I think um, it makes more sense to split them, but I could be wrong. I'm going to look up It's Wanda Time, and then I'll let you know what I think about <laughs> that. Okay. Um, I would love to have feedback and impact because I'm just, I'm just putting thoughts out there as I read through. Because I'm reading the comics for the show, but then I like want to focus in on Wanda's roles in those comics. So um, she, I think she and Carol Danvers are, you know, probably my second and third favorite single Marvel characters mm-hmm. after Spider-Man. The teams get kind of hard to rank amongst single characters. Cause I really love the different teams, but as far as single characters go, Spider-Man first, uh, Wanda and Carol second and third. And I don't know who from there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, that is the end of our show. Thank you very much for listening to make ours Marvel. Um, Send us email. We'll talk about it. And that's it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.